Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. So we're in Torah portion number 20 today, Tetzaveh in Exodus 27 through Exodus 30. And uh, in today's lesson, obviously in every Torah study, there's a number of themes you could touch on. And I have notes on a number of themes. And today I thought that what we would uh, hone in on is the wisdom of God and how to attain it. And so today we're going to speak on the wisdom of God and how to attain it. And let me start by saying that uh, there's more knowledge in the world today than ever before. Uh, Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 12.3 says, At the end of days, knowledge will increase. And uh, how many of you know that prophecy? I looked up that prophecy Uh, and uh, did a word study, and that word knowledge means ignorant knowledge. Fake news. (laughs) Right? In the last days, with the coming of the Antichrist and the coming of an age of lawlessness and deception, ignorant knowledge will increase. But knowledge in and of itself, good knowledge, neutral knowledge, ignorant knowledge, uh, in the last hundred years, it has increased more than all the other centuries of human history combined. Uh, the problem is man is no closer to solving his problems. <laughs> right? All this knowledge and we're still a bunch of knuckleheads. And that's putting it kindly. Don't get me started on politics. I've got a whole sermon. My wife's heard it a hundred (laughs) times. But the main reason uh, uh, why uh, we're no uh, closer to solving our problems is that brilliant people everywhere forget that there is a creator a one true God who has given us his divine guidelines and principles and leaders that fail to discover that are going to lead us into the paths of worldly wisdom that will oppose the will and the word of God. How many of you are here today and saying you pledged your allegiance to the Bible? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Come on somebody. And so, uh, if we want to make our lives a better place, the world a better place, start with the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Amen. And and really, that's why any individual, but let's talk uh, about a group that I dearly love, Christians. (laughs) Why do Christians seem to struggle and fail in life? Uh... When we have all these great and precious promises. And uh, I've decided that it's really not a lack of faith. Right? You've got faith. 
You took the greatest step of faith when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and all your sins got washed away and you made a covenant with the Lord to make heaven your home. That's pretty good. And if that's all there was to the covenant, we couldn't praise Him enough. But there's so much more. And so... In Christianity, we struggle not so much because of a lack of faith, but we perish because of a lack of knowledge, and specifically a lack of biblical knowledge. There's all these divine principles, and whoever chooses to uh, select those and apply them in our lives is going to experience a lot more success than failure. It's not based on whether you went to Harvard. It's not based on whether your parents were rich. It's not based on your skin color. It's not based on those types of characteristics. It's based on your willingness to say, this is what God has said. That settles it for me and my house. We're going to do it God's way, not the other way. Anybody fit that description here? Or as Garfield said, resemble that remark. Yeah, amen. And so we perish because of a lack of biblical knowledge that leads us into wisdom. That leads us into wisdom, which is knowledge applied. How many of you have heard the old saying, knowledge is power? That's only half right. Knowledge isn't power. When, when I first got saved, my first sermon in Bible college was down uh, town Seattle at the Union Gospel Mission. I had just given my life to the Lord and I led a group down there. And here I am preaching to a group of, you know, 60, 80 people. And most of them knew more scripture than I did. <laughs> I had just given my life to the Lord a few weeks before. And yet, uh, uh, all of that knowledge of the Scriptures wasn't doing them a bit of good because they uh, were in a very, very difficult, challenging circumstances. And a lot of that's just because of poor choices. All right? So the truth is that any trouble, any problems in our lives and in the human race uh, stem from the fact that we are not rightly dividing the words of God's wisdom. We're not applying things correctly. We, we, we're probably doing things that we seem right in our own eyes. There's a way that seems right that's wrong. <laughs> And sometimes it's just we do it ignorantly. Sometimes we do it willfully. And sometimes it's with ulterior motives. And then uh, people end up choosing the worldly wisdom, which the Bible says is devilish. But the good news is for every Christian, we have the right to choose. We've got a free will. This can be the first day of the rest of your life. And it is. So whether you're the newest convert or a mature Christian, you're you're needing to learn and remember that God's wisdom is the highest wisdom of all. Amen? Amen? And, uh, And so our goal is to know 
the Word of God. And when you know the Word of God, then you know the will of God. God's will is God's Word. God's Word is God's will. If you're ever confused about, well, what's God's will for my life? There's a lot of places to start. Just do what sometimes people do and let the Bible fall open wherever you want. (laughs) And you'll find something on that particular page that constitutes the will of God and start there. But for today's uh, uh, purposes, the wisdom of God and how to attain it, uh, it begins in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. All right. We won't dig into that. I don't want anybody feeling condemned. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's this higher wisdom that we're talking about. Uh, Psalm 111.10 The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey His commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise Him forever. (laughs) Amen. So that's God's word for Christians, for believers. But for unbelievers you got problems. Now, you're probably not an unbeliever. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening to this. But uh, if, if you're not a believer, things are going to be a lot more problematic. How many of you would agree that your B.C. days, before Christ days, were a lot worse than they are now? <laughs> things have gotten better. Anybody uh, testify this morning? Things have gotten better because of Jesus, because of the Bible, because of church. But 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, People who aren't spiritual can't receive the truth of God. It all sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Amen. Amen. And the reason people don't understand it and have difficulties is out of 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now that's for unbelievers, but it's also for Christians. Because you can not believe certain promises are for you. Like, there's whole groups of people that don't believe in miracles. And yet, Jesus went about doing good and doing miracles. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And if Jesus is doing miracles, then the Father's doing miracles. And He wants miracle-working power released in our lives. But Satan is an adversary. He's looking for who he can deceive and blind. And the only way that you can eliminate blindness, even as a Christian, is you need more light. You need the light of God's Word working. You just can't live on John 3.16. 
If that's all you got, that's enough to get you into heaven. That's eternal life. But it's probably not going to be enough to experience abundant life. Two different kinds of life. Eternal life, abundant life. Eternal life is in the sweet by and by. Abundant life is down here on the ground while we're still around. And God is saying, I want you to have both. Zoe life. And a kind of life that is rich and vibrant, creative, energetic, full of blessing and favor and wisdom and victory in every area. Now I wish we could just say, bam! You got it. No, you're going to have to work at it. And that's where a lot of people just uh, say, nah, I'm not getting in that game. I'm going to sit here on the bench, coach. I'm putting myself on the injured list. I don't want to study. I don't need a master's degree. I don't need to study to show myself approved. I've just made Jesus my Lord. What else do you want? (laughs) I want your whole life. That's what I want. (laughs) Spirit, soul, and body. So, ever heard the uh, kid's own song, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. All right. You got it? Deuteronomy 10.12 maybe sums it up best what this fear of the Lord is. And this is Moses sharing with Israel. Israel, uh, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Amen. Amen. So that's the uh, fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. But it's not the end of wisdom. It's the beginning, not the end. And uh, a lot of times people think the altar call is the end. It's only just the beginning. You're now on a lifelong journey of 10,000 steps. And when you've taken 10,000 steps, God has another 10,000 for you. Well, I'm tired. Don't get weary in well-doing. I don't want to work that hard. Don't be put yourself on the injured list category. All right? So all of this is the foundation for today's study and what God says in Exodus 28.3. And in Exodus 28.3, we know the story. Israel's come out of Egypt. God's getting them out of the slave mentality into a God-inside-minded mentality, right? And uh, he's given them uh, the Torah, the Word, the Ten Commandments, and then Mishpatim, all the other laws and ordinances that they're going to need to function as a family, as a society. How are you going to govern yourself? How are you going to govern a nation? This is why God gave the Torah, so that God would have a baseline, a standard of performance. This is how you do it. It's the first time they sang that song. Can see Israel just. Exodus 28 3. So you shall speak to all the gifted artisans who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him 
that he may minister to me as priest. The Spirit of Wisdom. The Amplified Bible says, who I I have endowed with skill and good judgment. The Hebrew teaching says, whom I have made an investment with wisdom. And so Israel's building the tabernacle, getting everything ready to house the presence of God. And God calls men and women ordinary people and he invests in their lives this spirit of wisdom, endowing them with skill and good judgment to build the kingdom of God. Amen? And so it is for you and I today. What we see here, what's good for them is good for us. You became born again. You pledged your allegiance to the Lamb. And now God says, I am going to fill you with a spirit of wisdom, with skill, with ability, with talent, and good judgment, and all these things, every adjective you want to think of, add to that, so that you can go out and do what I've called you to do as an individual believer to build the kingdom. Turn and tell somebody, I've got wisdom. I've got wisdom, I've got wisdom. And we use it, you know, not just so that we can have a better life for ourselves. People don't need just a hand out, they need a hand up. And when you get to become a wise guy, you're going to be able to not only get yourself out of whatever predicaments you spent all your life getting into, God will get you out of all of that and get you on the straight and narrow, and now you can give a hand up to somebody else. You'll make the world a better place. Amen. So this week, what's so interesting is that uh, the word wisdom appears for the first time in the Bible. In this scripture. And how many of you have heard about the avos or the avot? The, the, the first thing mentioned in a list. Okay, the first mention of wisdom in the Bible. And so, uh, since wisdom is introduced when uh, God is showing them the high priest clothes and also the menorah is in this passage... Uh, we're meant to look at what would wisdom have to do with the menorah? What would wisdom have to do with the high priest's clothes? And so, how many of you know about the menorah? The seven-branch candlestick, the candelabra, the menorah. It's symbolic of God's wisdom, God's anointing, God's knowledge, God's revelation. Amen? And it's a wisdom that comes from heaven. It's not something that you learn in the Middle East school of business. (laughs) It's good to have business sense. We need that. We don't want to to get too many bad experiences with somebody else learning how to fleece us of all of our hard-earned money. (laughs) So we need some of that. But God's wisdom comes from above. And each one of the menorah branches and the flame on top, that that was an eternal flame. 
never to go out. God's word, God's wisdom, God's will is never to burn out in your life. Well, I'm burned out, brother. Pastor, I'm just burned out. It's because you're fighting the wrong battles. You're focused on the wrong things. You spent a whole life getting yourself into all these troubles. Remember the cartoon? Mr. Wizard! Mr. Wizard, get me out of here! It don't work that way. You gotta unwind all that cat cradle stuff. You got it so entangled in your life. God's saying it's gonna take a few years maybe to unwind and unravel all of that chaos and confusion and get you the wisdom of God embedded in your soul, a prosperous soul. So don't get weary, don't give up. It's a growing process. It takes some time. Well, don't be... He condemned me. No, it's not condemning. I hope it's the truth in love that you... Oh, man, these problems, I can solve those through the Word of God. There's principles. There's strategies. There's guidelines. He's got a word for every circumstance. So that's why you need more than John 3.16. Okay, so... That eternal flame reminds us that God has planned for you and I an ever flow of wisdom and knowledge and counsel. Have you ever asked God to counsel you? We need marriage counsel. Have you ever gone to count God and say, God, will you be our marriage counselor? The reason we don't go to God is because the truth hurts. <laughs> You mean it wasn't them? No, it was you all along. Look at the man in the mirror. No! <laughs> Amen. John eight twelve in the Living Bible says, this is Jesus, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness. For living light will flood your path. It's Super Bowl Sunday. People have, they're going to be cheering, and hopefully there's an explosion of offense, and lots of big plays, and exciting things that happen. Uh, and the final score will determine who holds up the trophy. Now, that analogy can be applied, or that example, to Christians going to church and studying the Bible and involving themselves in the Christian lifestyle. In the sense of, the devil's done a masterful job and religious spirits have done a masterful job of saying, all you need is an hour. How many hours are there in a week? 168. So if you say, well, I'm going to give God an hour of my week. So 167 without God and one with God. In football terminology, that is a massacre, a blowout. Why are people getting blown? Because they're, they're trained, oh, I just give God a, an hour a week. No, you give God your whole life. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so knowing more about how your phone works, oh, oh, I got all these apps. You better have the best app of all, the B-I-B-L-E app, and be an expert at that. And then get into all your little Facebook stuff. I, I don't do Facebook. I won't do it. 
I don't have time. Well, are you going to play fantasy? I don't have time for fantasy football. I got to study the Word. I spent enough years of my life losing on the devil's team. I got so sick and tired of losing that I was sick and tired. Anybody get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Need more wisdom from the Word. Right? Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For though once your heart was full of darkness, every altar call for a mature prayer warrior that's praying for God's uh, uh, forgiveness and repentance to be released at that altar call experience, the people that are responding, their hearts are full of darkness. They can't even see the kingdom of God. That was me, March 11th, 1984. I couldn't even see the kingdom of God. My heart was full of darkness. But now it is full of light from the Lord. And thus your behavior should show it. Oh boy. God just went from ministering to meddling. What are you talking about my behavior? The wisdom of God is applied knowledge. It's like what we've always said and laughed about with Reinhard Bonnke, the late, great Reinhard Bonnke, evangelist to Africa. He came to our Bible college in 1984 or 5, whenever it was, and I always, his voice still echoes in my mind to this day. The gospel is like soap. It only works when it's applied. Right? So you want to get cleaned up on the right track, experiencing more and more of the abundant life? Amen. We need to be full of light. This is your light. It's a lamp and a light to your path, to your feet. It'll, one little light will dispel darkness. Because of this light, verse 9, within you, you should do only what is good and right and true. See, this is applied knowledge. Now that you have the light, it needs to translate into how you do it. Right? Learn as you go along. Learn as you go along. You learn more, you earn more. Kind of the way of the world. And it's true in Christianity. Learn as you go along what pleases the Lord. Do we even think that way as believers? Well, what pleases the Lord? Oh, no. Can you give me a list of a couple things you think that please the Lord? Oh, no. Well, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. Well, figure it out then. Amen. Amen. All right. Moving right along. It is showing us there's a practical side to the wisdom of God that it calculates out in how we live our lives. Right? It's got a real-world purpose for your life. But what about the high priest's clothes? The high priest had eight magnificent garments. And in ancient wisdom, each one of those eight pieces of uh, clothing related to a unique aspect of atonement and forgiveness. 
So there's eight areas of atonement and forgiveness that are embedded in the high priest garments. So that means when the high priest put on his dress for success outfit, I mean, he was a snappy dresser. Not only he, but all the people looking at him would see, wow, and be reminded of some spiritual truths. That I've been set free from this type of sin. I've been set free from that type of sin. I've been set free here and there and everywhere. Amen. And for you and I, we, we look at Jesus, our high priest, and how good he is, and what he did to secure our salvation. And we, need, we realize that uh, sin is a bad thing. <laughs> right? We need to live in perpetual atonement, perpetual repentance, perpetual forgiveness for all these various... Well, I'm not sinning anymore. He that saith he does not sin is a liar. <laughs> Who is... Ne- yeah, did I get a, can I get an amen from a grandson? And it's just a beautiful picture, spiritually speaking, of what we need to focus on as wisdom. Right? Wisdom says, love God, hate sin. Wisdom says the high priest had eight different garments that represented atonement and forgiveness in eight different ways. Let me understand all of the scope of the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of my forgiveness and never forget that. Because those that are forgiven much, loveth much. But those who are forgiven just a little, loveth just a little. That's, that's your five cent sinner. Oh, what I was doing wasn't that bad. Uh, it was bad enough for you to bust hell wide open. <laughs> yeah, so atonement, forgiveness, redemption. The wise person applies wisdom to stay connected to these spiritual issues because you want to lay hold of your salvation. You want to hold on to your forgiveness and your salvation like it's a precious treasure. This is a hundred stack of a hundred dollar bills. I ain't going to just lay those down and forget about them. Amen. Proverbs 4, 7 says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Right? It doesn't say faith is the principal thing. Although we need to walk by faith and not... It, it all is very... They're all high-level qualities. But here, wisdom, principal thing. And in all you're getting, get understanding. I just don't want to know about it. I want to have enough understanding to see how it applies in every situation, in my marriage, in my finances. In my health and healing, in raising my kids and grandkids, and, I, and running a business. Anybody running a business? God has words for you and your business on how it will flourish and prosper. So get wisdom. And as you're getting it, God counsel me on how to apply this. Amen? Proverbs 4 5 says, Learn to be wise. Develop good judgment and common sense. I cannot overemphasize this point, King Solomon says. Cling to wisdom. 
She'll protect you. Love her. She will guard you. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And with all your wisdom, develop common sense and good judgment. Did I mention that? (laughs) If you exalt wisdom, she'll exalt you. Hold her fast, and she'll lead you to great honor. And she will place a beautiful crown on your head. How many want that? Amen. That's why you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. Amen. So Pastor James gives us an amazing summary of what divine wisdom looks like in everyday life. Uh, and look, I spent all weekend uh, studying this, and it's not, there's not a definitive way you can say that Proverbs 9 and James 3 are connected, but uh, it kind, they're kind of connected. Proverbs 9.1 says, Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn out seven pillars. Seven pillars of wisdom. Uh, I was going to entitle this The Seven Pillars of God's Wisdom, but uh, uh, in Judaism, the seven pillars are not spelled out like, okay, there's a peace and joy and love and, you know, on and on and on. Uh, it seems to have to do with building your life and how you apply God's principles throughout each stage of your life, but it's not a definitive, oh, this is what it means. And so it leaves room for a lot of interpretation. If you can't specifically uh, pinpoint what the experts, the scholars, the rabbis teach is definitive, then there's a whole extra room for interpretation and understanding. God's got a big tent when it comes to wisdom. So let me go through James 3.17. I'll use the Amplified Bible says, the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled. That's the first in the list. So evidently, this is where you start. Working out your salvation in matters of forgiveness and righteousness and holiness and moral and spiritual purity. Then, wisdom from above then is peace-loving. Courteous and considerate. It's then gentle, then reasonable and willing to listen, then full of compassion and good fruits. It's unwavering, without self-righteousness, hypocrisy, and self-serving guile. Okay, so there's your list. You can go to different translations and they'll use some different explanations and words in the list, but... Uh, and, and one could quibble over whether that's seven attributes or eight attributes. Uh, but whatever it is, it's a great Bible list. And it's something that you and I need to understand as maturing Christians on what does God's wisdom look like. According to the very first pastor of the New Covenant Church, the half-brother of Jesus, James, formerly known as Yaakov, Jacob, that was his real name, Jacob. King James in 1611 changed Jacob's book to James because he wanted a book in the Bible named after him. (laughs) King James, right? 
All right. So anyways, it's, it's uh, a biblical list. It's taking the knowledge of God, the attributes of God, what we see in the Lord, what we see in the Father and the Son, and now the Holy Spirit wants to energize that in us so that these qualities begin to pencil out, begin to manifest. And that's applied knowledge. That's applied knowledge, which is divine wisdom. Knowledge doesn't do you any good. Just like it wasn't doing any good down to the uh, uh, folks at the Union Gospel Mission in downtown Seattle until they begin to apply it. Then it's like soap. New and improved tide. So let's go through this list. How many of you want the mind of Christ? Yeah. Okay, well, here's one list to work on. First thing is pure, purity, morally and spiritually undefiled. It's the first quality listed, and if, if you're a wise person, you're going to make a commitment to living holy and living righteously. Can we all agree that we serve a holy God, and He said, Be ye holy as I am holy? You're not trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to get your moral character in line with God's character. Stop being a character and get some character. No one here resembles that remark. In the simplest form, we're just committed to loving God and loving people. All right? Number two, peace loving. Wise people love peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And they focus on finding agreement and common ground. Right? We're not just waiting for the next argument. Now, my family is a family of arguers. And my wife hates arguing. I can't bait her into arguments. She just will go silent on me and uh, go to the other room. I want to argue. I want to be right! Stop treating your marriage like a football game, (laughs) Scott. That's where the spirit of compassion comes in. That's part of peace-loving, learning to be uh, courteous. Can, Can we have some civility in America? Why is all this cancel culture and lawlessness? That's the spirit of the devil, right? That's the spirit of the devil trying to disrupt people being peace-loving, living quietly and peacefully, serving the Lord. So don't foster division. Wise people don't get involved with division and strife and turmoil. But we're always trying to be the peacemaker, seeking unity. And how can we get to being in one accord, please? Amen. Number three, gentle. Wise people need to choose to be patient, loving, and kind. Right? This is something I have to develop because I, uh, if you look up dysfunction in the Webster's Dictionary, there's a picture of the Sigmund family. <laughs> when I was growing up, man, we were, as, we were all American dysfunctionals. <laughs> And, and I, I didn't d- develop a lot of these qualities that we're talking about. So like 10 years got behind me. No one told me when to run. I missed the starting gun. 
on how to be forgiving, how to be empathetic and sympathetic, and how to be kind and patient and respectful in my words and actions. I'm still working on that. 30 years later in Christ, because the natural side of me still wants to default to being an idiot. (laughs) I'm glad you walk on water. I ain't so lucky. i got to work hard at some things. And look, uh, in in your own way, practice humility. Check your ego, please. Or God will check it. A lot of times people wonder why I'm not getting anywhere. God resists the proud. doesn't say the devil resists the proud. It says God resists the proud. So you might be binding the devil, but what you really need to do is go to God and say, what is it in my ego that keeps me from moving forward? All right. So uh, number four, reasonable. Wise people are reasonable people. We apply the Word of God with fairness. We're willing to listen. Amen? Amen? We want to use common sense. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. Wise people care about what's right, not who's right. I'm in charge here! (laughs) All right, Mr. Captain of the Universe. Be reasonable. We're trying to find the best answers and solutions so that we can move forward. I don't have to be right. Do I, honey? (laughs) Tamara, my chief number one assistant for LHM. Tamara, do I have to be right? (laughs) You better say yes. Number five, full of compassion and good fruits. This is where the list could be seven or eight. Is compassion and good fruits one or two things? But uh, whatever it is, wise people need to learn to be merciful people, right? The same God that showed me mercy should compel me to be merciful, right? I got forgiven of a million dollar sin. So I'm going to hold a grudge against somebody that committed a $10 sin? I think there's a parable about that. Yeah? So we're not only merciful, but mercy goes out of its way to be a blessing. And by and large, New Beginnings uh, family does a great job of being a blessing. We sow tithes and offerings to help others locally and uh, nationally and internationally, especially with Israel. We're rich in good deeds. Amen? Because we want to make the world a better place, right? And so it's all a reflection uh, of the goodness and graciousness of the God we serve. The more that you are full of compassion and good fruit, good works, the more you reflect the goodness and graciousness of a loving Father. And as we know, it's the goodness of God, not on the street corner with your bullhorn, you will burn in hell for all of eternity if you don't serve my loving Father. Did you order the code red? I've been saying that to my grandson lately. And he just cracks up. Do 
didn't you order the code red? You better believe I did. <laughs> he runs out of the room. <clears throat> Number six, we got to wrap this up. I'm sorry. Unwavering uh, is the sixth quality of wisdom, which is also called being impartial. And so a wise person, a wise parent, doesn't play favorites with their kids or at, in the office. Uh, we learn to be fair-minded, unbiased, unprejudiced, learn to stay objective, right? It's not who's right, it's what's right. We want to come across having a balanced approach, don't we? You know, that we're even-handed, we're sensible, we're kind of sizing things up and then uh, going to the Word, praying for the Holy Spirit to show us what makes the most sense for this situation. And what that shows is, uh, is a measure of integrity, doesn't it? It shows that you can be a reliable person, that you can bring stability to your business, stability to your ministry, stability to the church. Number seven, uh, the seventh uh, uh, on the list from Pastor James, uh, a, a wise man, a wise woman lives their life without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile, James says. So we speak the truth in love, right? We're not trying to cancel you. Gotcha! The gotcha culture. Christians don't want to play gotcha. All right? We want to be genuine. We want to learn to be authentic people, real and honest. We don't want to use uh, deceitfulness. We don't want to be considered untrustworthy. We want to have a, a, a good reputation where we're not considered to be phonies. What is the big problem in Christian? Oh, they're all hypocrites, right? Oh, I, I, I wanted to be a Christian, but they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Self-righteous, self-serving hypocrites. Well, let's not be that anymore. Let's be loving and patient and kind and put all of these qualities that James says represents wisdom to work. So how do we get there in the last few moments? Study the Word. Number two, pray the Word. And number three, apply the Word. Right? Now look, we've all made our mistakes. We've had our issues and problems. We wish we could have done things different and better. You can't go back and erase the past, but you can make a pledge that moving forward, I'm going to use all those experiences to become a better per, uh, person. I'm going to be Scott Sigmund 2.0. Amen. Amen. How many of you want to be a better version of yourself this year? I see all your hands. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you and bless you for an outpouring of wisdom. Thank you for leading and guiding and counseling us on making the best decisions so that we can be the best version of ourselves and experience the best life ever so far in Jesus' name. Amen this morning. And amen. We'll give the Lord a prayer.